Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Lord, we come together to declare your worth, to worship you and to bring glory and honor and praise to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the name that is above every name, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for saving us, for redeeming us, and forgiving us of our sin. We thank you that we can gather by the power of the Holy Spirit to magnify you today, God. And we ask that you would bless our time as we study your word. Father, as we pray, we want to continue to lift up our community before you, Westerville, and ask your healing hand upon us, Lord. We pray for the families of the fallen officers, for the Joring family, um, and for the Morelli family, Lord. We ask that you would uh, touch them and heal them, God. We pray for our police force, that your, your hand would be that with them all as they heal from this as well. Or we're a community that is hurt deeply, and I know that we aren't the only community this week that has suffered these things. We pray also for families of the victims of the shooting in Florida. We pray that you would uh, touch and heal, God, that um, you would set the wrong right. Lord, our world, our world is in a downward spiral. We know this, but evil is so prevalent. Help us to take a stand and to be the light that you've called us to be, God. I thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Bless this time in your word. We ask it all in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Hey, we're in First uh, John chapter 2. Uh, we're going to finish the chapter today if you want to turn in your Bibles there. Picking it up at verse 18. Um, there's a proverb, I think, I'm pretty sure it's a proverb, that says, um, better, better for people to think you a fool than to open your mouth and prove it. <laughs> but in light of that... Um, I, I intentionally didn't share a whole lot on social media this week, um, but I do want to share with our faith family just some thoughts uh, before we get into the text today um, about the evil that is prevalent in our world. And um, we've seen it close, up close this week uh, in our community, um, and we've seen it at a distance uh, with the events that happened in Florida. Um, and... I want us to understand, or I guess the one thing I wanted to relay is that in this time, the majority of our society is going to look to our government to help us to sort this out. Um, and I think we as the church should stand different than that and come to recognize that it's not the government's job to legislate morality. It is their job to uphold justice. And so when we look to the government to do what the church should be doing, we as a society will fail. What we need to do as the church is what um, both uh, Reverend Meacham and uh, Andy, um, I can't remember his last name, from Adventure Church shared at the funeral on Friday. And that is we as the church need to be standing in the light 
and showing our society what a different life looks like. Yes, our country is founded on Judeo-Christian ethics, which is a great starting point. But the truth of the matter is we have millions of people in this country that have no desire to live by those standards. And nor should they. They don't, they don't, they don't, aren't comprehending it. They aren't understanding what it is that our country was founded on. And so, like I said, when we would expect that our government would be the one that should bring about morality, when it's really the church that should be doing that and be making a stronger presence in our communities to show what morality is, that's, it's sad that the majority of the nation, which I would say is still Christian, is predominantly silent. And that if we are going to stand against something, that we don't necessarily pick and choose what we stand against, other than to simply say we stand against evil. Um, what happened last Saturday here in Westerville, Reverend Meacham just said, we're sick of it. It was evil. What happened in Florida was evil. But there were millions of things that happened this week that never made the headlines that were just as evil. We, we were upset about 17 victims in the state of Florida, and rightfully so. I'm not trying to minimize the, their pain at all. But what about the 17,000 babies that were aborted this week in our country? thousand times what happened in Florida. We, 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 we as a church don't, don't want to pick what evil we stand against. We just simply want to stand against our adversary who would come, as John chapter 10 verse 10 says, to steal, kill, and destroy. So the proper response to that is that what Jesus said. He has come that they might have life and have it more life. So we stand in the light. And this is really, it really parlays into what we've been talking about in the book of 1 John. That there is darkness and there is light. That there is good, that there is evil. And we need to be beacons of light in our community. And I really feel like we as a church, Church 860, the Westerville community kind of got a wake-up call on that this week. It was... Um, heartbreaking to walk through this week in this community, but it was also incredible to watch the way the community came together, and on behalf of the, the fallen officers. And so if the church would wake up and become the people that God has called us to be, we can impact our culture for good. And we can make a difference in our communities when we stand for life. And so, I guess I just want to challenge myself to say, perhaps we do need to be a bit more vocal. And not necessarily about what opinion you have about how gun laws should go. Because everybody's got one. All you got to do is get on social media to see that. And rather, presenting the things of eternity things of true worth, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ.
Make sense? I'd be happy to talk more about it after service if, if you have something you want to share. I, I just felt like as I was re reacting to things mentally throughout this week, I really felt over and over, the Lord, the Lord again was impressing upon my heart that the way to overcome this is not to necessarily write a new law, but rather to live by the law given to us, which is the law of love in Jesus Christ. So John wrote, um, as we head into our study now, John wrote in the, the book of 1 John for four different reasons. We've covered two of them already. In chapter 1, verse 4, it says that your joy may be complete. He writes that our joy may be full. Uh, later on in the chapter, um, he writes that we are, sorry, in chapter 2, verse 1, he writes that we might strive to live a holy life, that our life would look different than the rest of the world. Today we're going to touch on the third reason he writes as we get to verse 26, but we're going to start in verse 18. Just a reminder, uh, what we talked about last week, I just, I, I love the imagery because I like football, but our adversary, the, the devil, has three plays in his playbook. You know, he has the run up the middle, he has the sweep to the right, and he has the long bomb. And that's what he has. That's his playbook. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I said that so many times last week that all I could think about this week was every time I ran into a situation where I was being tempted, I was trying to classify it. All right, was that the lust of the flesh? Was that the lust of the eyes? And more often than not, it was, oh, that was the pride of life. Oh, that was the pride of life. Oh, that was the pride of life. Oh, that, that was the pride of life. And just, I guess I'm full of pride still. <laughs> and the Lord just keeps working on me. And so, uh, but uh, yeah, that's his playbook. And we combat those attacks the same way that Jesus did with the scripture. So it's important that we as followers of Christ know the scripture. And that's why we study. Everybody with me? I gave you enough time to find 1 John chapter 2. Verse 18, he says, little children, remember this is his term of endearment, he is 90 years of age and everybody to him is a little child. <laughs> the seven-year-old grandpa, he's like, ah, you ain't got nothing on me. Little children, and what he means by that is those under instruction, those that are still learning. He says, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many antichrists have come. An interesting phrase. By which we know that it is the last hour. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Had they been of us, they would have been with us. You're either for us or against us. Little children, it's the last hour, he says. He's using these terms, the last hour and the Antichrist, to describe the time that we live in. We being the church. From the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, nearly 2,000 years ago now, we have begun a period of time known as the last days. Now, John is saying, hey, church, it's the last hour. Him at 90 years, that's still 1,910 years ago or whatever it is. I thought we were in the last hour. The time certainly seems to be moving slow. Well, the idea would be that from the day of Pentecost until, as we say when we take communion, until he comes, 
we are living in the last days. There is nothing prophetically that needs to happen on the calendar before Christ can return. And so it is with anticipation that we live day by day waiting his return. John alone, it's interesting, is the, the, uh, he alone uses the term Antichrist. That's the only, the only author that uses the term Antichrist is John the Apostle. He uses it in his gospel. He uses it here in the epistles. Nowhere else is it found in the, in the scriptures. But as he uses the term Antichrist, he knows as he's addressing this church that's been around for about 80 years now, that they're already familiar with the idea of what an Antichrist is. Having heard teachings from Paul who would reference the Antichrist, and certainly Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, when he references the abomination of desolation, speaking of Antichrist. And so he uses a term, I want to make sure that we understand exactly what it means. We would take the term to mean against Christ, right? Anti is the opposite of. Anti usually means to stand against. And it certainly does mean that, but I would say there's a fuller definition. It's not just that, that which would stand against, it's also that which would be instead of Christ. So Antichrist could mean against Christ, but it also could mean instead of Christ. Satan is not an originator. He's a counterfeiter. And so he's not creating something new. He is reinventing what has already been created. He's twisting what has already been made. And so he's... It's, he, he, Jesus said, you are either for me or against me. And so when... Jesus drew that line in the sand, it's not a matter of you simply, or Satan's not looking for everybody to stand against Christ necessarily, just looking for people not to stand for him. Does that make sense? It, it, it's not necessarily you stand against Christ, but it, anything else that we can distract you with, that's success. So John identifies that there'll be a man who comes who fulfills the role of Antichrist, and we'll see that when we see the abomination of desolation in the end times. But not only is there a man who fulfills the role of Antichrist, he's also saying there is a spirit of Antichrist already present and at work. And that's what he's talking about here when he says there are many Antichrists. There isn't... There isn't, it's not just one specific man, though it will be a specific man. There is a spirit of Antichrist, those that would be against Christ or instead of Christ, already at work. Um, we see it in false teachers, um, those that would teach something other than the gospel, the cults. We see it at work in the cults. We see it at work politically, those that would... Um, keep God out of schools, those that would stand to get in God we trust taken off of our money. We see Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist present in that. We see the spirit of Antichrist present socially as well in that they, um, you just see that people want to stand against God. And we're also warned here that there are those of the spirit of Antichrist who will come into the church who are not of the church. 
one of my roles as a pastor is to teach you the Word of God, but also to be a shepherd of the flock in that I, it's my responsibility to make sure that there, are, there aren't wolves coming in to lead us astray, wolves in sheep's clothing. And, and that's what John wants to warn against. I don't know if you've done a whole lot of study on the various cults, um, but it's interesting to note that the different cults will indoctrinate their people to argue against one group. Guess who? The church. Christians. They don't spend their time, you know, training their people how to argue against Buddhism or one of the other religions of the world, Mormons don't spend their time teaching them how to argue against Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, you know, they, they all are indoctrinated in the idea that we want to argue against the church. And I've said this time and time again, I'll say it again today. Darkness doesn't fight against darkness. It only fights against the light. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And then he says this, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what, you have, what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And the word in the King James is let him be anathema. And the idea was, is eternally damned. If we would come and preach a gospel that is different than what we preached to you originally, if an angel from heaven would come and preach to you a different gospel than the gospel preached to you originally, let them be damned. That's strong language that Paul is using. We don't want to be distracted from the gospel. or We don't want to have the gospel twisted. In the book of Acts, Paul says this, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul has this burden upon his heart. John has this burden upon his heart that he doesn't want anyone to be led astray. I, as your pastor, I have that same burden. I hope that none of us would be led astray, and I will continue to call out the wolves to shoot them if necessary, to, to at least shoot them down in your mind. Anybody that might be elevated that would twist the gospel. The gospel. I want to fight against that. But then John says something interesting in verse 20. But you have an anointing. I think that King James says an unction which is just a fun word to say. I got an unction. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Wait a minute, John. <laughs> the Word of God is true, and everything in the Word of God is true, and he just said we know all things. And why do I have such trouble with algebra? <laughs> why don't I understand rocket science? As cool as Elon Musk's thing was, landing those things back on the earth, that was, man, that was cool. I don't know how he did it, but he says I know all things. What, is, what does he mean if we, I mean, I don't know how to make a good souffle. I don't know how to, 
fly a plane. I don't know. I'm just thinking of examples. I don't write this stuff down. But he says, you know all things. What is he talking about? Well, the word know there, sometimes it helps when we look back into the original language. The word know there is ido, E-I-D-O. And that doesn't mean to have necessarily a head knowledge of all things. It means to know intuitively. It's more a heart knowledge. It's, it's that you, it's not that we figured out all things mentally, he's not saying that like rocket science, but that we have the Holy Spirit residing in us, which if you are a Christian, you do, the Holy Spirit moves in, and we know intuitively what is right and what is wrong. We know when a false teacher or a false teaching doesn't ring true in our hearts. Have you, have you experienced that as you're walking with the Lord? And you hear something and you just go, it's just not quite right. I'm not sure that it is my best life now. Speaking of one in particular. Let's figure that out. When we have the Holy Spirit residing in us, He prompts us to know what is right and wrong. And that's what he's saying in verse 20. You have an anointing from the Holy One, the Spirit, who walks with you, and you know all things. You know what's right and wrong as we walk with the Lord. He says, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. He's saying your safety lies in this. You know the truth. You have the Holy Spirit who can tell you right and wrong, truth or fiction. And my question is, do you? Do you? Do you know what is right and wrong? How do you have the Holy Spirit guiding and directing you? Are you sensitive to Him and what He is telling you? My encouragement would be, knowing the truth is what keeps us safe. So, be Berean. What? I'm going to get a bumper sticker, I think. Be Berean. <laughs> Nothing to do with Beamer. Be Berean. And the idea would be from Acts chapter 17. This is what it says in verse 10 in Acts 17. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogues of the Jews. These, the Bereans, were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were true. So they received what Paul had to say and said, all right, Paul, now we'll compare what you have to say to the scriptures. Can I encourage you as your pastor to do the exact same thing to me? Don't trust what I say. Compare it to the scriptures and find it to be true. So you know. I mean, if I if you come in one Sunday and I've got jugs of Kool-Aid sitting up here, and everybody's got to participate by drinking some of the Kool-Aid, hopefully the Holy Spirit inside of you says, no, you know, that's not quite right. In order to draw closer to God, we got to get on the ship, the UFO. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's it. If I'm encouraging you to do that, that's pretty obvious, most likely. You're probably like, all right, he's whack, and we're leaving. 
about the subtle things? Be Berean would be my encouragement to you. Take everything I say with a grain of salt and compare it to the scripture. I'm a failable man. I wouldn't ever, I would hope, I would never intentionally lead you astray. But the scriptures would say, with many words there is sin. And so the more I speak, the more chance I have of making an error. So I'll shut up. No, just kidding. <laughs> God places his Holy Spirit upon us as believers. We know all things. In John chapter 14, verse 26, it's the paraclete. Uh, Jesus says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside, that's the word paraclete, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. The Holy Spirit teaches us all things that we would know right from wrong and bring to your remembrance all the things that I've said to you. We, What we know is the truth, and that will ground us when false teachers would try to lead us astray. Knowing the truth is our root. He says in verse 22, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. We got to remember that Christ is not Jesus' last name when he wore, when and if he wore a football jersey. It didn't say Christ across the back. It probably said of Nazareth. <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth. Christ is not his name, it's his office, it's his title, it's who he is. Uh, it could also be translated Messiah. He is the Messiah, meaning he is the one who came to save. And so he says, John says, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, the one who came to save. And then he says he is an antichrist, he is one who stands against or is instead of who denies the Father and the Son. Speaking of the antichrist, we have a glimpse of him in a prophecy given in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is incredible to study if you ever have opportunity. But in Daniel chapter 11, speaking of the Antichrist, it says this of him, of the Antichrist, the specific man that will fill the role, okay? It says this, He shall regard neither the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. Daniel chapter 11, verse 37, okay? He shall regard neither the God of his fathers. That gives you an insight as to who... The Antichrist is. He will not regard the God of his fathers, God there being Jehovah. There's, it seems or appears to me, at least by understanding the scripture, that the Antichrist is going to be Jewish, which would eliminate a whole lot of people. He shall neither regard the God of his fathers nor the desire of women. Some would take that phrase and say, Antichrist will be homosexual. I don't know if that's the case or not. I don't think that's what it's saying. If he won't regard the God of his fathers, nor desire, nor have the desire of women, what, what he's saying there is he's going to be Hebrew in nature, and he won't, um, he'll neither, nor have the desire of women. The desire of Hebrew women, every woman that was Hebrew desired to be the one who birthed the Messiah. Okay? And that's why being barren was such a tragedy in that culture, because if you were barren, you couldn't be the one who would birth the Messiah. 
And so when Daniel says he shall neither regard uh, the God of his father nor the desire of women, what he's saying is the same thing that John is saying in chapter 2, verse 22. Uh, he is an antichrist who denies the father and the son. Okay, let me see if I can tie that all together. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, Hebrew in nature, nor the desire of women. The desire of every woman in Israel was to birth the Messiah, denying the son. So he denies the father, he denies the son, the Antichrist does. Jesus said himself, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the father but by me. He draws a line in the sand to exclusively say that he is the Christ. No one comes to the father but by him. And so we cannot deny the father or the son. Keep hanging on, we'll continue. Verse 23. He says, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So what John is saying in this section is that one of the ways a person would be classified as an antichrist is to deny that Jesus and the Father are one. Does that make sense? One of the ways that people could be classified as an antichrist is to deny that Jesus and the Father are one. To deny that the Father and the Son, or to deny the Father and the Son is to make a differentiation in elevation. I like that phrase. To deny the Father and the Son is to make a differentiation in their elevation. John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. We are the same. And when the spirit of Antichrist would make them on a different elevation, that's denying the Father and the Son. For example, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, other cults, diminish the Son change his elevation, saying he was a created being. That's the issue. If you get into a conversation with a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, simply ask the question over and over and over again, is Jesus God? Because they will eventually have to admit by their faith, he is not when we differentiate, or when we draw a difference between the Father and the Son, when we set them on different levels, that's parlaying to the spirit of Antichrist. Why is this so important? It's critical that we understand that Jesus, in fact, is God, so that we can see the depth of love that God has for us. It's so important that we see that Jesus is God so that we can see the depth of love that God has for us. Think of it this way. You and I are in a conversation sitting around a table at a coffee shop or whatever. And somebody comes in with a live grenade and tosses it toward us. And I get up and I grab Reese, my son, and I throw him on the grenade to save your life. He's like, why me? <laughs> right. That's the idea. Saying that Jesus is a created being 
makes the father cruel because he took one of his created beings and sacrificed him for you. To say that Jesus is not God, that the Father and Jesus are not one, is like me saying, I'll take my created son and throw him on a grenade to save your life. Make sense? So that's why it's so critical that we say, Jesus and the Father are one. It's not love. If I sacrifice my created being in order to save you, it is love if I sacrifice myself. Therefore, he says in verse 24, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. He says, therefore, what's you always got to say? What's the therefore, therefore? You got to ask the question. And he's making a request of us. He's saying, let that abide in you. Because of these things, because we want to make sure that the Father and the Son are one, at least in our minds and in our understanding, that we want to hold to that truth. He's, he's abide in what you heard from the beginning. What is it that you heard from the beginning? It's the gospel. It's the same thing that Paul was saying. It's the same thing that Jesus would say. We don't want to venture far away from the, that truth. We hold on to the true gospel. And this is the promise that he's promised to us. Eternal life. As I grow older in the faith, as I walk longer with the Lord, as I see the depravity of our world and how fast it's spinning out of control, the more I look forward to the promise of eternal life. Now we have eternal life now. The moment we give our lives to Christ, our eternal life begins. But there is a day coming when we'll rid ourselves of this corruptible seed, this fallible body, and put on the imperishable, and we'll see him face to face, and we'll fellowship together for all time. How glorious a thought. I've been working on this project over at Leap of Faith since July, uh, this building project. And I'm there three to four nights a week, and usually at least one day on the weekend, if not both. And I'm spending time with these other guys, Bill and Harry. Bill and Harry have become my fast friends. We shared life together for the past six months and God has drawn our hearts together it's been beautiful to watch I enjoy their company we laugh together, we pick on each other, we just have a great time Harry, I don't know if you've seen I know some of you have seen Harry Harry is about that tall and when he and I are together it's like Mutt and Jeff you know, <laughs> we're the best of friends and we're both Bill's like right and left hand Bill's the boss me and Harry, we're just the, there were strong backs and weak minds, and we just go do what Bill tells us to do, you know. And, uh, but uh, it's so funny, just the two of us together, it's like Mark and Jeff. We were talking about, I was talking with them this week, you know, oh, will there be golf in heaven? That question came up. Oh my God, I hope not. <laughs> but they were, they were looking forward to it, you know. So they were hoping, you know, you know I hope there'll be golf in heaven. Why? Because then, you know, you shoot you, the best you've ever shot and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, that's, okay, that's exciting. And, and you know, is there basketball in heaven? Yeah, we'll, you know, we'll be, make every three-pointer we ever throw up. Well, you know, all these things. That would be fun for a time. But is that the best of 
golf, is that what's the best thing about golf? Is shooting the best score you possibly can? Is that the best thing about basketball? Is that the best thing about playing music together? Is, oh, we played it masterfully? Or is it the fellowship that we have when we do those things? Because that's what we will have in all of eternity. That's what eternal life will all be about, is you and I together hanging out, enjoying one another's company, enjoying the Lord together, glorifying His name together in His presence. The best of our life here on this earth is what heaven will all be about. The best things on this life is, is the fellowship. And that's what we will get to experience for all of eternity without interruption, without distraction, without evil stepping in and intervening. So verse 26, he says, These things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Here is our third reason that John writes this little letter. These things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. The King James would say those who try to seduce you. The third reason John writes is for our protection. That he wants to make sure that we would stick close to the truth. And that we know the truth because we have the Holy Spirit residing in us. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, it is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. He makes a phrase there, you do not need that anyone teach you. And my kids are like, <laughs> I don't need a teacher. I don't need a teacher. That's not what he's saying. He called us little children to begin the phrase, those under instruction, right? So he's not saying you don't need a teacher, but the idea of the language would be you do not continually need anyone to continually teach you. It's not that you're, we're holding your hand all the time any longer. In other words, as we grow from little children, you learn to feed yourself, right? And that's what he's saying. It doesn't mean that we don't need to go to church or that we don't need to sit under teachers. That would be contrary to Scripture. It's important that we go to church. It's important that we listen to teachers of the Word. Uh, Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, which means teaching. They continued in it. Our studies together, as you and I come together to study the Word of God, should be a confirmation of the things you already know through the Holy Spirit. And again, be Berean to make sure that what I'm saying is aligning with what the Spirit is telling you and what the Word of God would tell you. And now, a couple more verses, uh, 28. And now little children abide in Him that when He appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Little children, those under instruction, he reminds us, abide in him. Be found in him, church. Live in him. Breathe him in. Absorb him. Surround yourself with him. Soak him in. That's what it is to abide. To abide is where you make your abode. That's where you live. Live in him. That, why? When he appears, and may I remind you, that could be any day, we may not be ashamed before him. It reminds me of a story. Do you guys know who Francis Chan is? 
he wrote the book Crazy Love. Um, phenomenal teacher. Just crazy story. He started the church, Cornerstone Church, in Simi Valley, California. Grew it to four or five thousand people. Realized as he's teaching the church that the church had become something that was not true to the scriptures, and left it. He said, "We just need to start over." And reorganized his life and left it in the care of good people. Hopefully, trying to change. But as he became more and more famous, the church came, became more and more about people coming to see him. And so he really stepped away from all of that and began a small ministry to homeless people in San Francisco just to minister to them on the street and really has, has minimized who he was or who he is, at least in the light or in the eyes of the church. He used to tell a story, Francis Chan, about his grandmother. And I love this story because it gives an image of what it is to not be ashamed of his coming. This is where I'm going. He, as a teenager, his grandmother lived in his house with him, was going to the movies one day. And as he walked by her bedroom, saw her sitting on the bed praying, Hey, Grandma, I'm going to the movies. Do you want to go with me? And she said, What if Jesus returned while we were watching? He was like, yeah, whatever. And he went to the movie. But it sat with him for the whole of his lifetime. And he tells the story with a conviction now to say, let's live our lives making every simple decision with the idea in mind of what if Jesus returns while I'm watching this movie? Should I watch Game of Thrones? What if Jesus returns while I'm watching this movie? It's not that you would lose your salvation. But do you want to be ashamed when he returns? What if I what if I am living by the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life in the moment that Jesus returns? I don't want to have to hang my head down. And like I said, it's not that we would lose our salvation. He would lift our eyes. He'd be the lifter of our eyes and say, I, I paid for that too. Let's live in such a way that we wouldn't be ashamed before him at his coming. How do we do that? We abide in him. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. One of the attributes of God is that he is righteous. What is it to be righteous? To be righteous is to be without wrong. Completely righteous as God is righteous means he has no wrong. And righteous living is living completely right. And he calls us to practice righteousness, that we would live morally, that we would live uprightly, that we would live virtuously unto God. And we have the Holy Spirit. You know how to do that. How do you know? Because you have the Holy Spirit who resides in us, helping us to discern right and wrong, helping us to discern light and darkness, helping us to discern good and so let's live in that way. Little children, he says, are right unto you so that you might be safe. The very best thing you can do with your life is to abide in him and live for his glory. So that's my encouragement to you. Let's strive for that together. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand. Let's close in prayer. Thanks for hanging with me. I know it's kind of a long way around to bring back a simple point, but appreciate you hanging with me.
God, we thank you and praise you for your word. Uh, we thank you that we could come together to study it today, Lord. And we know we live in a, a world that has fallen, and we live in a world that has evil present. And we know that there are those that would stand against us, Lord. And we know that we know the truth. And I pray that we would live for that truth. Jesus, you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. I pray that anybody that might hear this message today, be it here in this room or online, today or later, they don't know that you are the truth. I pray their eyes would be open, and that they might give their lives to you in salvation. That they might receive the forgiveness of sin and life everlasting. Lord, we look forward to the day when we will be with you face to face. When evil will be tossed into the pit. And you will rule and reign forever, righteously. And until then, Lord, I pray that we would be beacons of light to our family, to our friends, to our community, to this world. And as we close by singing, I love you, Lord, I pray that with our lives we would show it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.